Good morning, and uh, welcome to Prairie View Christian Church, whether you're here in the room with us or tuning in uh, live or later on Facebook or YouTube or wherever else those videos may end up. Do you think, just a question for you, do you think Noah slept his first night on the ark? Uh, It's not something I'd ever really given a ton of thought to. It's not something that the Bible really speaks to, but it struck me as an interesting question over the past couple of days. How do you sleep when there is a storm raging through the night as you lie in your bed with lightning flashing and thunder crashing? Do you worry about the strength, the integrity of your home. I know, uh, as a matter of fact, that there were people doing that very thing about this very building uh, over the past several weeks as we waited for our new roof. Do you worry that your roof might give, a tree might break, a sump pump malfunction, and flood your basement? Now imagine Noah on the ark. If I were Noah, I I would not have slept a wink. I would have anxiously paced every square inch of that boat looking for leaks. I would have desperately attempted to remember every step of the construction process, wondering what I could have or should have done differently. I just would not have trusted myself with such a monumental task, with so much at stake. As As a matter of fact... I recently installed our dishwasher, and I still wait for it to flood our kitchen. You and I, we are not surrounded by real floodwaters. We're not floating in boats of our own making. But we are undeniably living in turbulent times, trying to manage the lives that we are building. More People are more anxious now than ever before. Tons of studies show this as someone who works with students. I'm very aware of this, but it's not contained to young people. It's bleeding over. We are an anxious age. And who can blame blame us? Our ships are springing leaks and taking on water fast. 2020 has been a year for the history books, and it's not even over yet. We are weak creatures living in a wild world. We need strength, not only to persevere, but to flourish. And that strength, as many of you know, is found in the Lord. And I want to tell you and remind you this morning that you are, that I am, that we are weak creatures in a wild world. And as weak creatures, as weak people, We must find our help in God. So in a moment, we're going to turn our attention to Psalm 121. But before we do that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that you give to us to gather together as your people. Thank you that as we gather together, you are at work on us through your word, through, um, through your people, through just being around one another uh, as the Holy Spirit is living and active in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you, God, that um, 
As we turn to your word, the picture we find there is a picture of reality. It is not a fairy tale. It does not hide the ugly details of life. Uh, and it provides us with hope, confidence, assurance, uh, a firm foundation to close this book and walk out into the world with courage, uh, not in ourselves, but in you. Help us to find that this morning. Show that to us this morning in your word, in your character, in who you are. Help us um, to be conformed to the image of Christ uh, for our own good, for the sake of our neighbors, and for your glory. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. So, as I said, we'll be reading from Psalm 121 this morning. Uh, But before we jump in, it's important to have a little context so that we can understand what we're reading a little better. So first of all, Psalm 121 is part of a collection of songs within the Psalms known as the Songs of Ascent. So you will likely find right next to the chapter number a little subheading or title under these Psalms saying the Song of Ascent before verse 1. There are 15 Songs of Ascent in total, beginning with Psalm 120 and ending with Psalm 134. It's widely held that these 15 songs would have been sung by Israelites as they traveled to Jerusalem at several times appointed by God. There were several holidays where God had commanded all able-bodied Jewish men to travel to Jerusalem, which means these songs would have been sung as travelers ascended into Jerusalem because Jerusalem was built on a hill. Thus, they are called songs of ascent. They were literally climbing a hill. As a result, there is a unity in these psalms that is not always evident elsewhere in the psalms. And Psalm 121, unsurprisingly, carries the theme of pilgrimage in all of its language. Its imagery is all suggestive of a journey. But the song isn't strictly a song for the road. We're always heading somewhere. Life is a journey of sorts. And whether we realize it or not, like I said, we we are going someplace. And so this message from Psalm 121 isn't just relevant when you're on a road trip, when you're driving somewhere, when you're heading to church on a Sunday morning. It is a message relevant for all of life because all of life is a journey. So let's turn our attention now to Psalm 121. The very first verse says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? What about hills gives rise to this question? Now, it's possible that the hills were a source of fear. Bandits, thieves, all kinds of 'er ne'er-do-wells would hide out in the hills and prey upon travelers passing through. And so travelers needed help on the road. They needed deliverance to their destination. Now, on the other hand, the hills in question could have easily been the hill country of Jerusalem. So the traveler, as he sings this song, lifts his eyes and with longing sees his destination. He's already recognized his weakness and he's submitted to God and to his rule. That's why he's traveling to Jerusalem. The question then in that case is not a matter of anxiety, but worship. But whether the question arises from worship or worry, it's understood that we need help. In Psalm 120, verses 6 and 7, 
The song declares that we dwell among those who hate peace and are instead for war. You probably see plenty of people who love to stir up controversy and conflict. There are many people who make good careers out of stirring up controversy and conflict. You might also see people who love peace, but they have a very strange way of showing it. But, but to say we live among a people who hate peace might come across a little strong. If we're honest, if I'm honest, most people don't hate peace. Most people would love to see peace on earth. Most people would love to see an end to war. The problem, however, is that our notion of peace falls far short of the biblical Concept, And so these verses are much more relevant than we probably realize. Peace is an essential part of the Bible, but it is so much more than an absence of conflict. The word that we translate is shalom, and it carries this idea of everything working together in perfect harmony. All of creation firing on all cylinders, and this, this optimization of creation is only possible with God. It is God who establishes peace. So in terms of scripture, to hate peace is to reject the God who establishes it. And if that's the case, who can deny that we dwell among those who hate peace? We live among people, we ourselves are often the people, eager to cast off God's yoke leaving behind his ways and his rule as if they were outdated. Those who deny God deny the peace that only he can bring. And so we certainly dwell among those who hate peace. We need help, therefore. We need help not just because the world is a dangerous place full of natural disasters. It certainly is that. But we need help because there is evil in this world that is at war with beauty and glory and goodness, with peace. So where does your help come from? My sincere hope and prayer for this morning has been that you and I both, that we all could hear this question and answer back with the words of verse 2. So looking at verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Does your help come from the Lord? Uh, maybe a better question for us to consider right now is how much does God help? What exactly is God's help like? So in our house, in the Ellsworth house, we make lots of pancakes. Uh, I say we because it's something that Theo and I enjoy doing together. Uh, we help each other make pancakes. So Theo helps me measure and mix the ingredients. Uh, he usually helps, he usually tells me what we should make, whether we should make plain pancakes, chocolate pancakes, chocolate chip pancakes. Sometimes he wakes up and says, Dad, I want waffles this morning. And so we make waffles together. Now, I love making pancakes with Theo. I love doing this, and I'm pretty sure he enjoys it too. But at the end of the day... I don't need Theo's help to make pancakes. Theo, on the other hand, cannot make pancakes without my help. The help we receive from God is like that. God is not an assistant who makes hard jobs easier. God makes the impossible possible. 
So God, so to speak, he can make the pancakes without our help. But the opposite is not true. The only thing that you or I contribute to God's help is our need for it in the first place. So we must put God and ourselves in our proper places. We are not asking God. We are not looking to God or expecting God to merely lighten our loads. We need him to pick up the whole stinking thing and carry it as we do our best to tag along. And the specific help being spoken of here is our security and our safety. When God is spoken of as a helper in this way, it almost always refers to saving, protecting, or delivering. Our help, our deliverance, our safety and strength all come from God. But not all help is good help. There have been plenty of times in the course of our marriage, my marriage with Hannah, uh, when I have offered my help and uh, for some reason Hannah isn't happy to have it. In fact, I, I get in trouble, she scolds me, she's angry with me, and the reason is because my help that I think I'm so generous in giving is reluctant and bitter. <laughs> I'm helpful. I do things for Hannah that she couldn't do for herself or that she couldn't have done for herself, but I'm not happy about it, and uh, she knows. <laughs> Bitter, frustrated, annoyed help can sometimes do more harm than good. Or speaking even more generally, I'm sure you can think of a time when someone's help simply made things worse. For example, I will not let Bennett help me make pancakes. Incompetent or incapable help isn't any good. <laughs> so there are different kinds of help, just like there are different kinds of forts. Right? There's a big difference between a blanket or pillow fort and a military base. <laughs> There's a big difference between a tree fort and a castle. There's a difference between joyful and bitter, competent and incompetent help. So what kind of help does God provide? Well, Psalm 121 tells us that the Lord is an unrivaled helper. Our God is unrivaled in his help. Looking again at verse 2, it says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, when we read that the Lord made heaven and earth, it is easy, at least it's easy for me, to jump to conclusions about science and evolution. But this verse isn't arguing, hey, take a look around. Can't, can't you see that there's a God you should pay attention to? Don't you know heaven and earth didn't come from nowhere? That, that's not the argument that is being made here. The psalm isn't arguing for the existence of God. It didn't need to. Arguing for the existence of God was as unnecessary to them as arguing for the existence of trees. It was simply part of how they saw the world. Instead, the Bible here is making the claim that the God who revealed himself to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to David, the great I am is unmatched. The Lord alone made heaven and earth. There is no one beside him. He is unrivaled in his power. Everything we see, feel, touch, anything in all of creation is the result of his power at work. And for the ancient Israelites, any foreign deities that they may have been tempted to worship would have to reckon with this fact. Other gods were powerless before Yahweh, before our God, who is 
and is alone the maker of heaven and earth. So looking elsewhere for help, for strength, for answers was and still is a fool's errand. And this is no less relevant for us because we're less tempted by statues made of silver and bronze. God is unrivaled. He has no equal. To turn anywhere else is to settle for less. And not only is it settling for less, it is settling for death. When we turn away from God who is himself the giver and source of all life, how can we expect to end up anywhere but death? To cut ourselves off from God is to cut ourselves off from life. So no, the Lord is our unrivaled helper. We can be confident that there is no one else, there is no one better. If our help is coming from the Lord, then what we receive is the very best. Psalm 121 continues, so we have God as an unrivaled helper. It continues to tell us that the Lord is tireless in his help. He is a tireless helper. Verses 3 and 4 say, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The thought of God sleeping might seem silly to you. But ancient gods were a little like superheroes, maybe with less tights. They ate, they drank, they slept, they got tired. There was a lot of hard work involved in being an ancient god. And so a powerful god might let his or her guard down and fall asleep to recharge, to rest. And even the most powerful gods are vulnerable while they sleep. But the Lord doesn't need sleep. He doesn't need an afternoon nap. He doesn't need a good night's sleep to perform at his best. God's help never misses a beat. Eight years ago, actually, I fell asleep driving home from work. I was working eight to ten hours overnight with a shift ending at six in the morning, and it was a pretty physically demanding job. Uh, I'd come close several times before this, but... Probably like some of you in here, I thought I knew how to fight off sleep when I was driving. I knew the tricks. Uh, And this one particular morning, I nearly made it home and was wrong. I I didn't know how to fight off sleep. Uh, Basically, imagine turning into the Prairie View parking lot out here and falling asleep in the time it would have taken you to turn to head to the front door. That was as quickly as it happened for me. I turned, I woke up, and I was not on the road anymore. Fortunately, nobody was hurt, uh, but my driving has never been the same since. Uh, I used to enjoy driving, but the threat of sleep always worries me now. Uh, it's always there um, that, that it's happened before and it could happen again. And falling asleep behind the wheel is a very scary thing. But thank God, thank God that he does not sleep. He's not going to fall asleep behind the wheel He's not going to let you drive off the road. He will not let your feet slip on your journey. The Lord's help will be your stability. No matter how much the world around you might shake, God is with you. God is with us. He's unrivaled and tireless in that help. As the psalm continues, looking at the final four verses, five through eight, God's help is all-encompassing. So God's Help is unrivaled in its power, it's tireless in its energy, and it is all-encompassing in its focus. 
So let's look at those last several verses. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The Bible uh, will sometimes use two opposite words or ideas as a way of including everything in between those two things. So the sun and the moon, day and night, going in, coming out. God will keep you, guard you, and help you in every station, every place of life. It's not just any time. It's anywhere and in anything. There is no part of your life where the help of the Lord cannot reach. In fact, the the Lord's help extends beyond this life. It is help forevermore. Our hope in life and death is that we belong to God. He is our helper, past, present, and future in everything we are. So Psalm 121 has shown us that the Lord is unrivaled, that he's tireless, that he's all-encompassing. And all of these are good reasons, are, are reasons to feel good about his help, about his support, about his protection. God is more than able He doesn't miss a beat. There is nothing beyond his care. But the most important aspect of all of this, the most important aspect of God's help for us is his loyalty. That God is faithful. He is loyal. He is committed in his love. So let's take a look back at verse 4. It says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The psalmist has no claim on God except that he belongs to Israel and Israel belongs to God. God's unrivaled, tireless, all-encompassing help was not shown to the nations around them. It wasn't shown to Canaan or Assyria, Babylon or Rome. It was special for Israel. God's care and his loyal love was reserved for His people in a unique way, not because they deserved it, not because they were better than everybody else, but because God had determined to make himself known in them. And through Israel's history, God demonstrated himself as great in his power and good in his love. The question then isn't whether or not God is your help. That might be a good starting point. In fact, it was a good starting point for our sermon this morning. But the most important question is whether or not you belong to God. The the help of God, all of those benefits, are guaranteed to any and all who belong to him. Now, this doesn't guarantee that everything will always be awesome. History proves that to not be the case. 2020 would disprove Christianity if Christians walked around teaching that everything will be awesome. But we can be sure that the Lord and his help is always for our good, even if we can't quite see how. In this side of the resurrection, the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, we know that we can belong to God through faith in Jesus. It's by his blood that we are reconciled to God and forgiven for our sins. It's through Jesus Christ that we are adopted into the family of God and so receive the benefits of the Lord's help. 
And these aren't just waiting. These benefits aren't just waiting for us at the end of our lives. Yes, the glorious benefit of Christ is eternal life. But the Lord does not ignore us until we're on our deathbeds. And one of the primary ways that God helps his people is through his other people. Yes, God can work miracles. Yes, God can do and does do extraordinary things. But he also works through perfectly ordinary means. You and me and us. To cook meals. To watch pets. To write cards. God provides simple help and encouragement for us through us. So for these reasons, we can be sure that God is watching over us. You can be sure that God is keeping you and helping you in this wild world in which we find ourselves. Psalm 121 has been categorized as a psalm of confidence. And if I've done even a halfway decent job of just reading these, these verses this morning, it should be clear why. I hope it is clear why. The, Lord, the help of the Lord is sure. Your confidence, my confidence, our confidence is not in ourselves. It is in God and his strength. When you are in trouble, he is your help. In your coming or going, he is your help. By day or by night, he is your help. Do you look to him? Uh, anyone familiar with the Old Testament, I think, will, will know that things weren't always rosy. In fact, more often than not, they were bad. Uh, there were plenty of times when Israel was under attack from foreign nations and foreign armies. And Israel, feeling the heat, they didn't always do the right thing. They didn't always look for help in the right place. Addressing this, Isaiah 31 verse 1 says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Whatever happens in the coming days and weeks, political or not, don't turn to horses and chariots to do what only God can do. Do not turn to worldly symbols of worldly strength for help and for hope. Your hope, my hope, our hope is not in one political party or the other. Your hope is not in a vaccine. Your hope is not in America. It's not to say those things don't matter or that they're unimportant, but they aren't ultimate. No matter what happens, Jesus Christ is still Lord. He still died for the sins of the world. He still offers the ultimate help so that we might belong to God and enjoy all the benefits of a restored relationship with him. And this happens not by our own doing, but by faith. Not by our own works, which is why we can be confident that it's good. Because I don't know about you, but we can't, I can't rely on myself. So if you happen to find yourself on a boat in the middle of a flood, like Noah, whether that flood is real rising water or just the mayhem of our sinful world, you can trust that the Lord's unrivaled, tireless, all-encompassing help 
has always been, is, and always will be with you. And maybe, hopefully, this will help you sleep through the storm. May we all turn in confidence to the Lord for help and in him find peace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, help us to find our confidence in you. Uh, Help us to meditate on these things, these um, simple truths that are so easily forgotten uh, in a in just a flood of information, a flood of things pulling us in different directions, uh, pulling for our affection, pulling for our loves, that we uh, would return to you. Um, God, we, we know that there are times when you, you break us down uh, in order to draw us back to yourself. You reveal our weakness uh, in order for us to find our hope in you. And surely... 2020 for many many reasons far beyond uh, the pandemic has done that thank you god that you are not a cruel helper you are not a bitter frustrated or reluctant helper that your help ultimately stems from a loyal love to your people and that you went out of your way to make us as your enemies your sons and daughters and that when we Stop to think on that, that that alone would fill our hearts with hope and confidence, knowing that we live under your watchful eye, that we live under your care, that nothing that happens happens apart from you who made the heavens and the earth. Help us as we leave this place, as we face this coming week, and whatever complications or, or craziness might ensue, help us to be grounded in scripture, grounded in real reality, that Jesus Christ will still sit on his throne, that he is still good, that you are still good, that you are still at work, um, that your church will be built up and the the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, Help us to live boldly, not in our own strength, but always in yours. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.